This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Sanderson, the Bobby Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prude. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, great stuff. Lace him up for some beast talk right now. I'm looking at a It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome to episode 174 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Pru and Scott McLaughlin. And tonight, the Bruins get back on the winning track with a 3-0 win up in Winnipeg. Um, some things that have ailed the Bruins of late in their poor stretch of play was slow starts and just incomplete efforts throughout 60 minutes in particular in the third period. The Bruins did not play a perfect game tonight by any stretch of the imagination, but two areas that they did improve upon were just those areas. They they got a goal in the first minute of the game, starting strong. The rest of the period wasn't that strong, but they started strong. And then they finished the game really strong in the third period against a desperate Winnipeg team. So, Bridget and Scott, did you see anything um, outside of that that jumped off the page to you tonight? Yeah, I think most importantly, the effort was there all night. Like, yeah, it wasn't the cleanest game. Power play still struggled, you know, still stuff to clean up, but a huge step in the right direction just because, as you mentioned, like they started better. They finished really strong in the third period when they're up to nothing, eventually make it three, nothing with the empty netter. Uh, and they were working and they, you mentioned it, Winnipeg was desperate. They're a team that's been struggling recently and, you know, seem to be pretty safely in the playoffs at one point and is now very much fighting for their playoff lives. Um, I think they're just like mere percentage points ahead of Nashville for the eighth and final playoff spot out West. Uh, Winnipeg, you know, at brought it, like I thought they played pretty hard and the Bruins matched it. And that's, that's the challenge. Like we we've been saying it is they are going to face teams that are much more desperate than they are. How do you get yourself up to match it? And I think, you know, it sounds like they had some some team or at least one team meeting, uh, I think, Thursday morning before the game. You know, Montgomery said he met with the leadership group, you know, coaching staff talked and they just kind of had like open conversations about, you know, getting back on track. Bergeron used the word humbled when talking about the back to back losses to Detroit and Chicago. So, um, yeah, it seemed like message received and a much better effort. Uh, and you know, the kind that they needed against, against what's been a good team most of the season and one that is definitely dead desperate right now. Yeah. A good team with good goaltending and for Winnipeg, obviously they need the points. They had kind of a tough stretch recently and they'd fallen from, was it second or third in, in the conference or their all the way down to the last wild card spot. So they're, like you said, desperate. They got lucky. Nashville also lost to Chicago um, tonight. So they stay exactly where they are. I think they're three points um, ahead of Nashville right now as it stands um, in that last playoff spot. It's four points, I just checked. Um, And 
yeah, they're a much more desperate team, but the Bruins played like the more desperate team, especially that third and fourth line. They had a lot of shifts where they were outworking the guys they were on the ice with. Um, they were, they had more speed um, and somebody that will, I'm sure talk about Hathaway had a great game, but also Lauco had in the second period in particular, some really good shifts after all those weird transactional moves, taking him up and down and up and down more for cap space reasons. Um, but he had a really, really good shift in, in the second period that he got, I think, three pretty decent scoring chances on. And then also just had a strong game. That whole line um, kind of pushed the pace. And sometimes recently when the Bruins top six weren't doing anything, the, the bottom six still was bringing that energy. And you see Trent Frederick, get goals in back-to-back games and you, you know, you see Bertuzzi set it up and you see some positives from that bottom six. Yeah. I thought that that fourth line was really strong tonight. Um, for sure. I thought they were their most, probably their most consistent line. I, I thought at least, at least as far as bringing energy and just kind of playing in your face, the third line obviously kickstarted things for the Bruins. And we talked about it last episode, I believe how, Coyle and Frederick offensively had seemed to slow down a little bit, or maybe we spoke about that before the Blackhawks game. But um, since we talked about that, Frederick has two goals, and it's been a couple of games now in a row with uh, yeah Todd Bertuzzi, Tyler Bertuzzi on their on their wing. And are they related, by the way? It's it's uncle and nephew, right? Yeah, Todd's his uncle. Yeah. Um, anyway, so they've they've had a few, at least three or four, maybe five games together, at least maybe not full 60 minutes, but close to it. And to start tonight's game, they had a very similar goal to the one that they scored in Boston in Bertuzzi's first game, I think it was against the Rangers. Yeah, it was and, a coil goal. It was to coil yeah. who was out there. Yeah, so it was it was similar. Uh, good work down low, protecting the puck, and then finding the open man in the slot. In, uh, in Boston, it was coil, like you mentioned, Bridget. Tonight, it was Frederick. Um, I still think that line is working out a lot of kinks, especially in transition. Uh, and you can definitely tell that Bertuzzi is still trying to find his way, and that's understandable. But when they're beneath the dots, that line is finding some success. Yeah, their board play is really good. They're, they have a lot of guys that can, like Coyle and Bertuzzi and even Frederick can win those board battles. And um, they're strong skaters, so it's hard to take the puck away from them in those situations. I noticed that that exact play, they've, They've been successful with it a few times that you mentioned the one in Boston, but I think in Chicago, they had a play like that too. Um, or at one of the games recently, they tried that again, where they, they win the puck battle along the corner boards or the end boards and they throw it out in front and either Frederick Coyle, Bertuzzi, somebody's waiting out net front in the low slot to just poke it in. And it, it looked easy when they did it today. No one was really guarding Frederick kind of a defensive breakdown, but I mean, that play works. It works for them. Um, you're getting a very in-close shot, so a high-percentage shot on those kind of plays. And, you know, if they get one of those every other game or if they, they get a look at that um, whenever they can, that, you know, that's a good scoring opportunity. Yeah, and it's it's just important for Bertuzzi to start to feel comfortable somewhere, And which I think this, this is the line where it's going to happen. This always seemed like, the most natural fit mostly because you didn't really have any reason to split up your top lines. And, you know, as I said before, totally understand wanting to test some different things, see how he looks with Krejci and Pasenak, see how he looks on the top line. But ultimately 
playing with Coyle and Frederick for now, at least until, you know, Hall and Felino eventually get back and then you have to figure some things out. But for now, this is what makes the most sense. And he looks like he's starting to get more comfortable there. As Brian mentioned, there are still some things to work out. Um, but especially when they get in zone and, you know, get cycle game going, get some possession, like you can see, you know, how this is going to work. And you can see that like, all right, this is a trio that can be successful. Um, Bertuzzi now has a system back-to-back games, still waiting for his first goals of Bruin, but, you know, has a few points now. And I think can build off that. He's taken a few more shots in the last couple games. Um, so yeah, so they looked pretty good for the most part. The fourth line was great. They were just awesome all night. Um, when they're on the ice, Bruins shot attempts were seven to one Bruins. They were spending a ton of time in the offensive zone. Lauko draws two penalties. He he only played six. I was just looking at it. Uh, six twenty nine total in the game, but led the team in individual scoring chances. Like he was all around it. Um, had one shift where he had like three scoring chances. One was a good save. And then, you know, another, he missed the net on, but yeah, I mean, first game he's gone into and, you know, I think what, like a week and a half, two weeks now. Um, and, you know, not that Greer really deserved to come out of the lineup. But I don't know if there's some sort of minor injury there, but Montgomery had said he wanted to get Lauko into a game on this trip at some point. So they get him in tonight and he definitely makes the most of it. His last two games that he's played have been really strong. And it's, you know, again, another reminder just of how, like how deep, deep this team is because Lauko can play at this level and you could plug him. You know, I, I just mentioned he played 629 tonight. He could give you a good 629 in the playoffs and that's all you need from a 12th forward. So, um, yeah, good for him. He, he had all those transactions, which were really, yeah, I wrote about this yesterday because like people have been so confused about it, but they're, they're just paper moves that spare, basically they spare the Bruins. So you're only allowed four regular call-ups between the trade deadline and the end of the regular season. So you make it an emergency call-up instead, and it those are unlimited. So you can just do that as many times as you want. You can say, you know, Someone's a little banged up. We're not sure if he's going to play. You can call out, go up, and then you have to send him back down once you have a healthy roster for a game. So that's why it's been every day up and down. Doesn't actually mean anything. He's not flying back and forth to Providence and wherever they are on the road. So he's been with the team the whole time, but they just have to do that to um, save themselves some moves for potentially later in the season. So I have a question for you, too, is um, I'm going to leave Nick Foligno out of this equation because I feel like if he's healthy, he's obviously going to be on that fourth line, and it would probably be no sick Foligno and Hathaway. But let's say that Foligno isn't able to go for playoffs or whatever, and, and you're looking at Hathaway, no sick, and either Greer or Lauko. If Lauko's on top of his game and Greer's on top of his game, who do you what do you think the difference is? What do you think – the line looks like differently with those two on it on their game and which maybe would you prefer if they're both playing to their ceiling i mean i say greer um but it's close um but i think 
if you're if we're saying they're playing to their ceiling, it's close, right? They have similar ceilings. Um, they have they bring similar things. Uh, but Greer has been in there more. Uh, he has more games under his belt this season, and I think he might have a little bit more maturity to his game and situational awareness, especially like in a playoff game. Not going to make those rookie mistakes, so to speak, that maybe Lauco might have to learn the hard way at one point in his career. So I, I lean Greer, but I do think that Lauco is an adequate, um, you know, replacement in comparison to what he could bring. Yeah, I think Lauco brings more speed. So if you're looking for that in a matchup, you know, he would have it. I think he might have a slightly higher offensive ceiling. Um, not that either one is really like a great offensive player or anything. Greer does have a pretty good shot. Um, so I'll give him that. But yeah, I mean, Lauco may be a little bit more dynamic of a player with the speed. Greer, I think, brings more physicality. So I think if you're looking for not that Lauco like isn't can't be physical, he can. But if you're looking for like we all right, we want to have a punishing four check and you know have those two wingers who can do some damage uh on the four check. Like I think Greer's more likely to do that. So it's a little bit of like what exactly are you looking for? I I think I'm with Bridget where I would lean Greer just because he's had more NHL experience this season, but I would definitely like to see Lauco get more chances. I, I said after the last game, like I wanted to get him back in and not have him sit for two weeks. Like he ended up doing. Um, I would like to see him back in again for one of the two games this weekend, at least. And, you know, see if he can build some momentum because he's, he deserves it. Like he's played really well. These last two games, he's played pretty well every time he's been up this season. So um, I don't, you know, when everyone's healthy, like he's probably going to get sent down just because of a numbers game. And he's the one who doesn't have to go through waivers and all that. But for now, if you have a chance to play him more, I, I definitely would. And it's not, again, it's not a knock on Greer. Cause I thought he had a couple of pretty good games recently as well. But um, yeah, I think the more experience you can get Loco, the better, because he could be an option for you at some point in the playoffs. What I like about him the best is that every time he's gotten called up, he's really done what he needs to make a case for himself in the lineup. And that's something we haven't seen from some of the prospects in the past. Sometimes you see them go cold or sometimes you see them not make most of their opportunity, but he brings it um, so far this season. He's been what they needed and done what they needed him to every time he got called up. Yeah, I mean, namely Jack Stanique is a guy who we've talked about in the past, like just didn't take advantage of his opportunities, right? I mean, I think Scott, you mentioned that, or, I th- or somebody mentioned online, but Lauco had like three, like three minutes and change. Did you mention that, Scott? He has like three minutes of playing time, and he was just like so, so, uh, so noticeable. And yeah, uh, that's like yeah, through really two minutes, right? yeah, through two periods, it was like just over three minutes, and then he got like another three in the third. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, he, he's he's a he's a pest out there, and he and he does. He does have a bit of a motor for sure. I think, um, I mean, the question I pose to you guys, it's, yeah, I think they both, I think both of them bring a skating game, right? I mean, you guys mentioned that um, Greer's, a, Greer's a pretty good skater too for his size. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, similar, similar ceilings. The biggest difference between the two of them, I think, is just like Greer has a little bit more height and physicality. Although, and a tiger tattoo. Yeah, which we all know Monty's a big fan of. That's a, that's that's quite a decision to make. What, what's your tattoo? Okay, you're in the lineup. 
Well, here's the thing, and this is a hard-hitting question for Scott to ask next time, but who has the cooler Tiger tattoo, Tyler Bertuzzi or AJ Greer? Oh, boy. Yeah, I'm going to... You might get punched in the face over that one. (laughs) 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 And when I say a hard-hitting question, that means Scott's getting hit really hard in the face for uh, insulting someone's tattoo. But, yeah, Bertuzzi... It's not not insulting. No, I can ask in a nice way. I can just... Who has the cooler tattoo of a tiger? Because yeah. Bertuzzi has a big one on his arm, and I, I, so does Greer. So, what would you guys? What would you guys? Uh, what would you do if, like, for the playoffs, Monty just walked into the press room with like one of those Mike Tyson head tattoos from like, <laughs> or something? Like in the Hangover, he just yeah. <laughs> wakes up with one. No, I want Scott to get a tiger tattoo. He can be part of the pack, part of the pride. I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> Maybe a terrier tattoo. Yeah. You, you didn't get a birthday tattoo last, uh, last night for your 20, your 25th. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I can't, uh, I can't really remember. You know. There's always a chance on St. Patrick's day. He gets drunk <laughs> enough and goes for it. And he remembers this conversation. And then that, he was, the that was my 21st birthday in college celebrating on St. Patrick's day. That was, I thought you meant you got a tattoo. on your 21st No, no, no. I didn't get a tattoo, but. Not remembering what happened. Scott has like a uh, Scott has like a kiss me I'm Irish tattoo on his wrist <laughs> next time we see him. Okay, All right, anyway, back to the hockey back. game. Back to the hockey game. Um so Pavel Zaka got the okay, so the first period, as we mentioned, the Bruins got up to a good start, but the rest of the period was pretty slow. I think they had nine shots through through 20 or most of the first 20. What did you see happen to them um, after such a strong start? They had a power play. They didn't do much with it. It was almost kind of deflated them a little bit. Uh, what did you think kind of went wrong for them the rest of the, the first period that kind of after that after that, uh, that early lead? Well, penalties for one. I mean, they just started racking up one penalty after another. And, you know, a couple of, like, a couple of them were needed. You know, Lindholm's is – they're on a power play, but he has to take an interference because the rush is going the other way. Hathaway just missed a check um, and ends up with a kneeing penalty. So I didn't think they were like super undisciplined, but um, that definitely hurt. That clearly like killed their momentum because I thought they were the better five on five team most of the night, but you just start constantly going on the penalty kill and really Broke their momentum. Their penalty kill was good. Winnipeg finished the game 0 for 5. So, um, you know, an improvement for at least that half of the special teams uh, equation. But, yeah, it did throw them off their 5 and 5 game. I thought it took took a little while after kind of getting out of all those penalties for them to sort of get back on track and start to play play well again. But the good news is that they didn't give up a goal during any of that. Um Swayman played really well and, you know, sneaky, important game for him because he hadn't been, he'd been a little subpar the past two games, definitely Sunday and that loss to Detroit, but even that, that Thursday night game against Edmonton, um, you know, especially that last goal where he kind of misplays the puck behind the net. So, you know, I thought this was one of his better games of the season and just, you know, really strong bounce back. They, you know, you wanted to see from him. You don't want him to start potentially slipping at this point in the season. Yeah, and I'll I'll choose to pick up there because 
I think Scott's right about the penalty thing, um, causing that first to be a little bit weird. And also it was seven shots in the first period for the Bruins. So um, on goal, at least their first shot on goal was the gold. <laughs> I guess it was like what, 50 seconds in uh, really early goal for Frederick, but to, to pick up on this Wayman uh, topic of conversation, he played so well. Um, third shutout of this season looked great had the one weird thing I thought though was there was like three or so times where he had his glove closed and then dropped the puck and it like popped back out um I don't know what necessarily was going on with that one time you get a quick whistle so it it didn't matter um and another time it like bounced out in front and one of the Bruins defensemen cleared it out of the way but um other than that really strong game from him uh deserved the shutout at the end of the game when Hellebuck was pulled I'm thinking oh what if he goes for it what if he goes for that empty net and then I'm just thinking to myself oh he probably just cares about the shutout but um in the back of his head he was thinking oh no he, he, he wants he wants a goal if, if there had been a chance he he definitely would have gone for it luckily for um Winnipeg there wasn't a, a, a clean chance at it for him, but Nosek ended up scoring an empty netter. So, um, yeah, he did. He did. Um, before we get to the, um, I want to get to the top line or the Bergeron line uh, in a bit. But before we do, I think we'll just mention touching the Zaka goal again, or not again, but um, Zaka scores again. And it was it, just a, uh, the latest example of, of him trusting his shot, using his shot more. And uh, it led to his, um, career high in, in, in goals. I think it was his 18th goal of the season. And uh, just, I mean, again, he's just been such a, such a pleasant, pleasant addition to this team this year. Uh, thoughts on, on him giving the Bruins a two nothing lead and in the fashion that he did it. Yeah. We, we've seen it all season. He has a really good shot and he can score from distance and, you know, you don't have no team has like a ton of guys who can do that. Um, but he's done it quite a bit and does it there with just a great snapshot up over Hellebuck's shoulder. Um, yeah. Like that's when we were talking about, like, you know, Zaka versus Bertuzzi, like we were talking about this on, on Sunday skiing, you know, we touched on the podcast as well. Uh, you know, like the difference between what Zaka brings to that line versus Bertuzzi. And it's like, they're both good playmakers, but Zaka has that ability to score from distance. Whereas I think, Obviously, we haven't seen Bertuzzi score yet at all with the Bruins, but when he does score, he's a guy who had 30 goals last year. It's a lot from in close, so it's just you know a little bit different dynamic. And I think Zaka plays well on that line because they they play so much off the rush that if you have a guy who can who can score, um, you know, from the circles or even you know a little outside it, like that's that's dangerous for for a rush line jim montgomery has said how he he accepts that you know that line might go chance for chance and he trusts them because he thinks they're going to come out on top because they're just more talented well like that's how they're more talented obviously Pasternak can do it we know that but when you have the other wing who can also score from distance off the rush like that's you know that's how you end up dramatically outscoring the opposition even if you're trading chance for chance. Yeah. And, and it's important to have that longer shot score off the rush. And it's, it's dangerous because that means you can get the shot off before D 
defense can get in position. So you're, you're going to catch them a little bit off guard. You might even catch, you know, the goaltender off guard. Um, especially when we're talking about a goalie that's as good as Hellebuck. And unfortunately for Bertuzzi, his shot goes off the post and out, but Zaka's went off the post and in, um, in today's game. So, I, I mean, he's had his best season goal wise. Frederick who also score is well beyond his best season goal wise. Now he scored his 15th. Um, so, I mean, you're seeing a lot of guys this year just put up numbers that they haven't been able to in the past. Yeah, I mean, that's true. That is true. It's been a it's been a team wide effort. Everybody's been kind of playing to their ceiling and then some. Um, but with that said, I, I do want to bring up the 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 Burrs are online at this point because you know ever so often I watch the Bruins and I think to myself, because because they do so many things well, and the guys we're talking about are so important to this team and they're all world players, but this is the second time this year that I can recall that they've gone through a significant dry spell. Um, and, and when I mean them, I mean Bergeron and Martian in particular, because I think the first time DeBrusque was out of the lineup, but they've been quiet. There's no doubt about it. They're, we know the power play struggles for this team, right? So the power play hasn't been clicking. So it's not like in the past where like, okay, maybe five on five, they're down, but they're on the power play scoring. The scoring's down all the way around for for, uh, for those guys right now. And dating back the last six games for the Bruins, so that is the Rangers game, the Oilers game, both Detroit games, Chicago, and tonight against the Jets. The last six games for the Bruins, Marchand, Bergeron, and DeBrusque have a combined seven points in an 18 combined games, right? Six games per guy. So, um I guess just like like this isn't the first time this year they've struggled. Uh, is it is it a sign of of them just being a little bit older at this stage in their career? Obviously not to brusque, or is it injury or ailment, or are they pacing themselves? Um, in those last um, six games, Martian has three points, and the other two each have two points respectively. So, just what are your thoughts on that line? Clearly, they're not clicking on all cylinders right now. Um, can I go first? Go. Uh... Okay. Um, so I think I honestly am not sure, Brian, to answer your question. Is it fatigue? Is it, um, you know, pacing themselves? I don't, I actually don't really think it was any of the things you listed. I think they might just be a little bit off. Um, and in particular, Marshawn, who, um, has one goal in the last eight games and, and that's not really a pace that he's, he's usually at a, at a quicker pace than that. Um, he's, I think as a line, they kind of just look like they're – and I, maybe it's that defenses know what to expect from them, um, and they're, the matchups that they're getting are obviously good matchups. You know, they're seeing other teams' best defenders um, at times. So, you know, they're they're going up against the hardest players to play against defensively. So um, that might be part of it, but – as a whole, they they haven't been able to generate as much as as usual, get the passing going as much as usual. Maybe teams have kind of solved them a little bit, um, but I don't think it's fatigue or age or anything like that. Um, I'd be surprised if it was, and I don't think that they're like, I don't know, I, I don't think they're lacking, you know, inspiration as much as well. They could be a little bit, but. Um, but maybe just they're getting teams best defensive at first and they're, they're just a little bit off. 
I mean, I, I think the biggest factor is that Brad Marchand still isn't himself. And yeah. he told us that. He told us that a couple of weeks ago. He said that he thought he would feel better than he did after getting, by this point, after getting a double hip surgery in the offseason. And he said, you know, he just ha- hasn't felt like he's been able to get back to like being the player he was the last six seasons where, yeah, like he he might be slightly under a point per game now, but he's basically been right around a point per game all season. Um, but that's down from where he had been. Like he had been 90 to hundred points over 80 game seasons, not, you know, 80 point pace or 75 point pace. Um, and he said, you know, he just felt like he couldn't really be as completely in control um, of, of the puck when he's on it and, you know, in control of, kind of play um when he's out on the ice and i think that i think that's it like it not to say it's all about him or you know it has nothing to do with bergeron and debrusque like yeah i'm sure those guys can be better too but when like when and if that line is at its best it's marsh and driving it like he's the one over you know for the last several seasons who's been the best offense, him and Pasenak are the best offensive players on the team. Um, and Marchand really hasn't been for stretches of this season. And we we know why. And, and he said he doesn't regret getting the surgery. He needed to get it. Otherwise, his career could end much sooner than he wanted. Um, but yeah, but it was a major surgery. And he's still not 100% himself. And I think, you know, I don't know if he's going to get there before the playoffs. I don't know if it, you know, it might take a full regular off season of regular training because that's the other thing. It's not just the surgery and what that does to your body. It's you lose your entire off season. You lose everything you you usually do to get ready for a season and trying to do all that during the season is a lot tougher. So, um, you know, to me, that's the biggest factor. And, and- I think, you know, I think the silver lining is that, they, for once, you know, unlike previous years, they have the depth scoring. They have a second, third line, even a fourth line. They have defensemen involved on offense. So you don't have to rely on that line. The other silver lining is they're still not giving up goals. They are one of the best defensive lines in the NHL. So um, at the very least, they're they're breaking even pretty much every night. So, um, you know, how they use that in the playoffs and, whether or not they get going offensively at some point remains to be seen. Obviously it makes the team a whole, uh, you know, a hell of a lot scarier if they do start to turn on offensively and Marshan starts looking like himself. But um, yeah, for now it, it hasn't really happened yet. And uh, I, can I, can I just point out a stat that I just, I did the math on while Scott was talking. Um, so he's on pace for 27 to 28 goals, depending on how you round. Um, which would be the fewest goals in a season for him if he has 27 um, in eight seasons. So, I mean, obviously he missed time in the beginning, so that's going to factor in. But we're looking at a lot of seasons where he has over 30 goals, and right now he's at 20 um, and and on pace to have about 27 or 28. So if you go back and look at those stats, the stats kind of bear that out. Obviously, um, if he doesn't miss the first month, plus of the season those numbers look different but just um 
as a point of reference to what the numbers might look like at the end of the season for him. Might be right around 27. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that he missed the first month, right? So um, you could you could safely assume that would be probably mid-30s, right, otherwise. Um, but for me, it's not even the goals or lack thereof. It's like, does he look like Martian out there? And clearly he doesn't, and the, and the reasons are justified, right? And Scott listed all of them off, and I'm not here to to – to bash their, one of their best players at all. Um, I guess I guess what I'm simply saying is, and Scott, you mentioned, like, well, this Bruins team is different. They can weather it because they have the depth. And I agree with that. The problem is, if you go into a playoff series or a playoff season, you can't have your depth scoring turn into your primary scoring. It's only depth scoring if your primary scoring is scoring, right? I mean, I know that's kind of – you can look at it both ways, right? If, you, if your depth scoring – isn't scoring and your primary score isn't scoring. You have no scoring. I get that. I know. I'm just saying, um, I, I don't think this Bruins team can win a Stanley cup. If, if those guys aren't producing significantly more than they are right now. And, and, and I'm concerned because I agree with the reasons that you listed off and I don't blame him for not being the 110 point guy that he was a few years ago, because he didn't have a full off season of, uh, of training. He didn't have a full preseason. He didn't have a first month of the season. Um, I, 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 I understand all that. So, but okay, but the reality is the playoffs do start in a month. So, for, like, what, can like can he get to that level? And I think it's unfair to assume that he will just because the playoffs are starting. So I, that's and, why I think it could be reason for concern a little bit. And DeBrusque, let's not forget, I have no idea what the recovery is like for you know what what bone did he break? Did he um, no. Is the Funny bone? No. <laughs> Either <laughs> way. Was, wh- whichever the smaller of the bones in the lower leg is. I always get them confused. So. Me too. That's the problem. But anyway, I have no but idea yeah, what the... I, I, I broke one of them and I still get them confused. <laughs> a skiing accident, by the way. Um, Not a bar fight or anything like that. Um, But... No, I don't know what the recovery time on that is either and what the recovery process for something like that is. I mean, you got to imagine breaking something like that and you're putting so much force on your legs when you're like cutting at your edge and when you're skating. So, I mean, just take that into consideration as well. Um, they're not, I, I doubt DeBrusque would say he's a hundred percent. I'm sure he feels pretty good, but um, that's another you know thing to think about when we talk about that line as well, because he's coming back after missing quite a chunk of time. Um, and he took a little bit longer to come back than they originally thought. So, um, yeah, I guess those are all things to put into the equation of why that line might be struggling a little bit right now. But I want to change subjects to before you do on the as far as like you know, you need your top scores. I think it's pretty like it's safe to say at this point that their primary scoring line is the check line, yeah, and has been all season. Um, those are their top three five on five scores. So I think like you almost have to like look at it a little different than years past where it's like, yeah, the Bergeron Martian line is always going to be listed first on the depth chart and they might get more minutes and, you know, tougher matchups and all that. But the Zaka crazy Pasenak line, like that's the one that's going to need to score. Like when you talk about, you know, you need your top scores. Yes. I think at some point you're also going to need Marsha and Bergeron DeBrus to, be going offensively but to me like Zaka Krejci Pasenak's that that has become the line that you need 
consistently going. Like that's at least offensively, that's your top line. Yeah. And, and five on five, you mentioned five on five. Remember last year at the end of the season, we're just, I feel like we're putting up articles constantly and talking constantly about how they couldn't get things going five on five. <laughs> and now all of a sudden they can't get things going on the power play and, and, and their five on five play is, you know, among the top in the league. So it's just kind of, kind of funny. And obviously we talk about the different pieces they have this year and the different, the, the depth that they have this year that helps them be able to do that. I mean, the check line, you only had one member on that team last season. <laughs> so uh, we're, we're talking about different pieces because you don't have Zaki, you don't have Krejci last year to, to, to add to that mix. By yep. the way, I, I, I tweeted this. So if, if you guys saw it, then it's going to be spoiled. But the third, I mentioned the top three, five and five scores are Pasenak one, Krejci and Zaki now tied for two. You know who's fourth in five and five points? Lindholm? Uh, who'd you say the first three were? Oh, is it Lindholm? Did you say is it Lindholm? No, Coyle? No. What, 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 what were the options? Who were the first three? First three were Pasenak one, Krejci, and Zaka tied for second. Oh, yeah, I feel it's I feel like it's Coyle, no? Yeah. Oh, Coyle? Charlie Coyle, fourth and five and five points. Pride of Weymouth, man. I'll tell you what. Yeah. Pride of, pride of the South Shore Kings, 92s. Um, you know what's crazy? I'm looking at their I'm looking at the Bruins website right now, I'm looking at just like their uh their points leaders. It's it's I didn't realize just how much Pasternak is leading the team by in scoring. Like, granted, he's played eight more games than Marshan, who's next in line, but Pasternak has 90 points, and the next the next highest guy is Marshan with 56. That's a that's yeah. a, that for a team with so much depth, it's crazy how how much of a gap there is between the first and second leading scores. I know he's played eight more games. I get that, but that's that's still. 30 was that 34 points that's crazy that wow. that reminds me because i thought about this the other day but i want to look up the last time they had a gap that big between first and second score because i'm gonna guess it's been a while like i'm thinking maybe joe thornton but even that like you had like your glenn murray who might have been at least closer than that but yeah it's probably been a while what about like what about like mark savard in like 06 like who would have been behind him like brad boys or marco Sturm or something Maybe Bergeron. True. I could check. I could check that one if yeah. Bergeron brings up the next point. But, <laughs> but yeah, we're, I mean, we're, we're gonna end up looking this up by the end of the podcast. <laughs> oh, no, he's gonna look it up right now. Whenever, whenever I'll, we I'll, change I'll, the subject, I'll take it. Um, yeah. Okay, so do you guys want to move on to the defense because kind of a significant um, uh, issue, <laughs> I guess you can say, leaving the game. Forbert doing his thing, uh, getting he. Drops the knee down, gets the leg flat on the ice, but takes a puck um, right to the leg and, or was it his ankle? Um, yeah, it looked like lower leg-ish, but it was, yeah, it's hard to tell. It exactly. was right above the ankle from what I thought I saw, but he has a hard time getting off the ice. He only ends up with 13 minutes of playing time. Um, and we talk about the need for, you know, at the deadline to add another defenseman. And you've just been waiting for, um, the shooter drop now, obviously we do not have an update yet. We're recording this just after the game, but, um, guys, how does this affect? Well, we do kind of have a little bit of an update. Um, oh, so yeah, Matt, that's right. Matt Porter is in Winnipeg and said Forbert was in a walking boot after the game. And Jim Montgomery said that he's not expected to play the final two games of the road trip. So at least out through the weekend and, you know, I'm sure he's, 
my guess is he he might come home now. Yeah, I was going to say. I'm assuming he's going to get more testing done and then they'll probably have a clearer picture. But yeah, I'd say very safe to rule him out for Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, so I I more mean we don't have an update for long term, I guess you could say. We don't have the evaluation done yet. But yeah, when we saw Jake DeBrusque in the walking boot, that was a long recovery for him. Um, And, you know... Felino, when he got hurt after his game, had crutches and and whatnot, and he's still out. So, not sure what the prognosis is. As I see Brian smiling about something back there, it's definitely not the injury. But I'll get we'll get to that in a second. But guys, how how is you know how does this affect your rotation and also you know things like your penalty kill, um, the possible pairings you might be able to put together? Well, it takes care of the rotation for a while for at least for as long as he's out. Um, now, you know who your six defensemen are and you're not worried about, you know, having to rotate guys every once, every four games. Uh, that said, it also provides an opportunity to get Jacob Zaboral in, which Jim Montgomery said he wanted to do at some point on this road trip anyways. So now you can still, you can still rotate someone out if you want to, if someone's a little banged up, you know, like, Carlo sitting uh, Tuesday after after um, that hard crash into the boards on Sunday, which, by the way, should have mentioned earlier on Zaka's goal and also right before it on a Hathaway chance at the post. Both started with good breakups, but Carlo and just inside the D zone, getting the puck quick up ice. I thought he had a really strong game. And uh, Nesson had the stat that since he had that tough stretch where we had three straight minus two games during um, that portion of the schedule where they lost four or five around the all-star break. And since then he has not been a negative and he is a plus 18 over the last 15 games. And I know, you know, plus minus, not the best stat, not a be all end all, but in his case, pretty telling he, him and Lindholm as a pairing have just been great and just do not give anything up. Um, Anyways, back to Forbort. Uh, yeah, so you, you can get Zaboral in now. You can, you know, especially Sunday, back to back with travel. Like, yeah, get get someone a rest. Like, who, whoever needs it most, that's potentially an opportunity to even get Lindholm already sat a game. So maybe a McAvoy or an Orlov gets a game off. Um, but now you can get Zaboral in as well. And then. The penalty kill, it's going to be interesting to see because the stats, you know, forward in the lineup versus out of the lineup, it's like a 12-point drop. I think it's 88% uh, in games he's played and 76% in games he's missed. But most of those came back in November when, when, he, when he was out with a broken hand. So that was a long time ago. Guys have, you know, had a lot of time to get better at penalty killing since then. So it'll be interest, interesting to see what it looks like. And... That could be be important because I don't think Forbert's job was like locked in for the playoffs. I think there was still, you know, some a battle going on for ice time and who's in the lineup and all that. Um, so now you get a chance to see like, all right, does the penalty kill really take that much of a hit with him out, or are they in a better place now than they were in November and they can withstand it? Yeah, I don't have a whole lot more to add on that situation. Um, 
from what Scott said, I think like for me, I guess what's worrisome is that Forbert's like one of his biggest attributes to this team is just his ability to shot block and get in lanes. And um, obviously that comes at a price, but uh, it's just like this, you're going to want him to be that, that warrior type defender in the playoffs and, and eat those shots left and right. And it's just, this is the second time. Is it, a, is it the other foot or the same foot? Do we know? Cause his, this time it's his right. I mean, so it's just like last time it was his hand, it was a broken hand. Oh, oh, was it his hand? Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe I was thinking of the brusque or a broken finger specifically. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it was. Never mind. Um, but I, I mean, either way, it's like he's just, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's you, you want because because the war of attrition is so important, right? And I know blocking shots there there is an art form to it, and he, and he's probably one of the better guys in the league at staying healthy while doing it. But the fact that it's starting to, you know, get some leaks in the armor there, it's kind of troublesome I, I suppose but as far as the rotation goes I mean I echo everything Scott said um Bridget what I was laughing at earlier was um <laughs> I was I was I was, oh, just, laughing. I was straight up just laughing at the Bruins roster in 0607 <laughs> <laughs> and like and thinking to my and, and and I was also laughing at the plus minus for the for, the, for each player like um the fact that the Bruins won a Stanley Cup four calendar years later after this roster is absolutely mind-blowing to me and they turned it around like the next year they made the playoffs for the first time and they kind of took off but um Savard had 96 points that year the next closest guy was Bergeron with 70 so 26 point spread and then the third highest score was Glenn Murray with 90 I mean um, 45 points so it went 96 points 70 points 45 points and some of the and look at Bergeron's plus minus was minus 28 <laughs> that's the Dave Lewis era right there. I mean, come on. Bergeron to minus 28. The, the, look at the, the listen to the minuses on this team. Minus 19, 28, minus 12, minus 24, minus 21, minus 17, minus 22, minus 22. The best plus minus on the team was <laughs> was uh zero. It was Peter Peter Kalis, who the hell that was. <laughs> and Brandon Bachensky was a was a was a plus three. <laughs> oh my god this team was brutal that was uh so that was my senior year of high school and my my friend jim had season tickets uh two tickets and i bought like half the season for the second ticket so that was probably the year i went to the most games as a fan uh and yeah completely forgettable on the ice like that uh yeah so I many like, memories come back. Waste that some money. Was, <laughs> that I, uh, team was brutal. Well, our tickets were like ten dollars a ticket. Oh, they, we were last row of the balcony, so there was there there was so there was so easy to get back then. I yeah. remember I remember in 06, it was January of 06. It was like it was I think it was Martin Luther King Jr. Day because I think I had school off for some reason and my my uh my dad came home early from work and like woke me up at like I don't know seven or eight in the morning. I don't know what, what time it was. And uh and he was like, "Hey, you want to, he's like, you want to go to the Bruins game today? I think it was a matinee, and they were playing the um, they were playing the the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim. It was their last year as the Mighty Ducks. I think they won the cup next year. But it, anyway, it was at the Garden, and Bergeron had like, I think two goals and an overtime goal. Him and Marco Sturm or something. Um, but it was like, yeah, you could just get a day of game. You go into the Garden, or maybe in the Fleet Center at the time. But it's like just you know, 40, 35, 40 percent attendance, like." Yeah, and then yeah. they went, and then they went a cup four years later. It's just crazy. We could like move around to open seats like wherever we wanted. We we ended up in the luxury box a couple of times. Like security was like nowhere to be found. You could just kind of go wherever you wanted. It, 
the wild west yeah I mean, now that i think about it that's probably the last year that season is probably the last time there was ever a uh a non-sellout game at the garden maybe early on in that in that 0708 season like when they when lucic was a rookie and kessel was coming into his own i think people still didn't like think they were going to make the playoffs i think the second half of that year they started to kind of fill the seats but after that i mean i mean we're talking we're talking like 16 years 15 16 years of just like sellouts at the garden which is pretty pretty crazy yeah um got to kind of got off the rails there uh, I guess we'll bring it back. I feel like Bridget's really good at bringing it back on the rails. So I don't know if there was something else from the game you wanted to discuss or Scott. Um, shot blocks. <laughs> we were talking about shot blocks. And I just wanted to mention McAvoy had five in the first period. And he had seven total. So we're talking about guys stepping into lanes. Um, McAvoy was – McAvoy had a really good game, I thought. And um, in particular, the shot blocks and the save that he made because it looked like Swayman made another – great stop it was during a penalty kill looked like Swayman made back-to-back huge saves and it turns out on the replay the second one was McAvoy's stick in behind Swayman um sending it wide of the net so saved a goal there and helped Swayman get that shutout yeah what was a really good game for him and you know you you don't usually see games from McAvoy like that with the blocks because usually he's spending so much time in the offensive zone that there's no need for him to be blocking shots but yeah I think it's it comes back to like what we started with, which is wasn't always the prettiest game, but the effort was there. Like they were committed. And I think McAvoy exemplifies that. Like normally a top McAvoy game, he wouldn't even be in his own zone enough to block that many shots, but he had to do some dirty work and he did, he was committed to it. Like he could have, you know, not gone in the way of all those shots, but, um, but he did like, he brought the effort and, and, did what did what it took to want to win. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, Bridget, you mentioned off the top, I think uh Swayman shut out. Sometimes I forget to kind of give give goalies their due because they just they've just been so consistent all year. It's funny, it's like they had one shit game against the Blackhawks. And I'm I'm like, hey, you guys notice Allmark kind of sucked today? It's like that's <laughs> like the first time all year he's given up more than three goals. And of course I I call him out, but um yeah, no. Uh, so great game by Swayman. Nice bounce back performance from from the Detroit game, which wasn't his best. Um, yeah, shot blocking was definitely up there. I mean, you could tell the Bruins were desperate tonight to kind of right the ship. Uh, that's the takeaway from this game. It wasn't pretty at all throughout most of it, but you know they got the job done. I mean, Winnipeg was desperate. They're fighting for their playoff lives. So um, hopefully they can salvage the rest of this this road trip and feel good as they go back home. I think they got what Scott there in Minnesota Saturday. Is that another matinee? How many matinees yeah. have they been playing the last? couple of weeks all of them <laughs> i don't know i guess abc abc and tnt love having them in those afternoon spots i guess so yeah it's i think it, this weekend it's two one of them it's one o'clock one's two o'clock i think minnesota and buffalo's so. minnesota's two o'clock but you want to yeah. know what you can watch the hockey east championship game after it so they don't conflict yeah Right. Hockey semifinals Friday, Friday night, four o'clock and seven thirty. So Scott, what what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do if uh, if Merrimack plays BU in the finals? And like Bridget, are you gonna be like mediator or something or or what? Um, no, oh, yeah. uh, I'm gonna be gone. You guys duke it out. I'm out of my my horse is out of the race. <laughs> we get a, yeah, we gotta have some sort of friendly wager. We will. I mean, Scott, there's no doubt about it. No disrespect to my alma mater, but Scott's a way bigger BU fan than I am a Merrimack fan. I'm just kind of hopping on the bandwagon 
Um, Scott, you're going to be there? Uh, no. Well, still mm. possibly for Friday, maybe last minute plan. Ah, I got my credentials. But, so yeah. Saturday will be too tough, though, with the Bruins playing the afternoon and then Sunday skate. So I'll watch that from home. All right. Uh, before I sign off, Bridget, Scott, was there any closing thoughts from either one of you? One of the things, since we just touched on Allmark having that tough game, I was looking today, like just having to look at his numbers, and that was the first, he had gone two months on the dot without having a game where he had a save percentage under 900 um, until Tuesday night. The league average this year is 900. So he went two months without having a single game where he was even league average, like just just crazy and one other crazy stat that i saw thursday night Sidney crosby now is locked into averaging at least a point per game this season um he has now averaged a point per game in 18 straight seasons at least a point per game in 18 straight seasons which is one short of wayne gretzky's record also just was like shaking my head at them like that's insane respect that is that is that is real admirable that's that's really cool um been doing it a long time it's it's like i know it's it's kind of cringy at this point when you hear people call him refer to him as sid the kid i feel like ray ferrar was like the perfect guy to say that sid the kid or, or something like that <laughs> um on like an espn broadcast or something um bridget any closing thoughts from you Nah. 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 nah dude all right well um they got the wild two o'clock saturday Followed by, guess what, Scott? Another matinee Sunday in Buffalo. So uh, when Scott says all of the matinees, he really means all of the matinees. Um, so, hey, no one's complaining about afternoon hockey on the weekends, right? Everyone has to go to bed early these days, so I don't blame them. But uh, in any event, everybody enjoy your weekends. Plenty of hockey to watch. Bruins, hockey, East, as Bridget mentioned. Save St. Patrick's Day. Yes, yes. Have a very Scott, I'm week. talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, you're you're the only one not wearing green here. It's not St. Patrick's Day yet, guys. I'll get you tomorrow. The the podcast is dropped on St. Patrick's Day. Oh, People yeah. are gonna be watching this on YouTube on St. Patrick's Day. Whatever, bro. I had I had corned beef. Does that count? Bridget, I get that that does count. Literally, I so I, I can't ex- I can't express to you how embarrassing it is that you're not wearing green right now. <laughs> really, it's Sorry. really it's so embarrassing. <laughs> All right, guys. I, I actually I actually. Coincidentally, was wearing this. I did not wear this for for St. Patrick's Day, but I'm gonna play it off like I like I did. Um, Scott definitely did it on purpose. Yeah, Scott's rocking a sick Jimmy Fun hat. Actually, it's pretty yeah, very nice. And and like initially, this was just the hat that was closest. And then I was like, oh, and it's St. Patrick's Day, so that worked very nice for no reason. I was half expecting Scott to wear one of those those like uh, priest Irish things with like the the orange mutton chops on here, like a little leprechaun, but. Maybe next year, Scott, now that you know what I'm looking for on St. Patrick's Day. All right. People listening are like, all right, end the podcast. So that is exactly (laughs) what I'm going to do right now. So everybody, thank you so much for listening and enjoy the rest of your weekend.